You're listening to the Andrew Berkshire Podcast, breaking down movies with your host, Andrew Berkshire and Arun Singh. Hi, and welcome to the Andrew Berkshire Podcast. Uh, I'm Andrew Berkshire, and I'm here with my buddy, Arun Singh, and we're going to talk about Venom, because we're going through the Spider-Man universe, and that's... The most recent until uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse comes out officially on uh, home video. I've recently seen Into the Spider-Verse, and I can't wait to talk about that one. But uh, before we get into it, Arun, small announcement to make. We actually have a sponsor for the podcast now. It is a clothing company that uh, the next time you're in Montreal, I'm going to have to take you to. Because I think you'd be super like into their designs because it's like super modern it's atelier baratin please don't make fun of my french accent to those of us who are of the francophone persuasion uh they are in the plateau montreal area and uh they can be seen on instagram at a-t-e-l-i-e-r-b-a-r-a-t-i-n uh, that's their Instagram handle, and you can also check out that exact same spelling dot com to see their clothing. It's awesome stuff. I have several hoodies from there, and uh, they make fancy stuff: suits, dress shirts, ties, bow ties, even kids' clothes. It's uh, it's a really cool little small shop here. Oh, and uh, I know I, these. I know who this is. I just googled them while we were talking. I know. Oh, I definitely have to go with you. Yeah, they're they're awesome, and it's just a little small place, up and coming. And uh, I hope that this is a partnership that helps both of us because I, I really love them. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm super pumped about it. I'm, I'm glad that uh, they came on as a sponsor. So shout out to Baratan. And uh, let's talk about Venom. How, how are you doing, Arun, before we get wait, into wait, it? Wait, wait, wait. Baratan. Bonjour, mes nouveau ami. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, right? That sounds good. Perfect. Uh, I'm not the one to yeah, judge. So. I- <laughs> I did actually, you know what, funny story, I did French public speaking uh, for most of grade school. I was, you know, like Anglo fluent in French, as in I, could, I was fluent at a really slow level. Um, <laughs> like I would have murdered uh, at trying to speak it in Quebec, but I was, uh, I did a lot of public speaking. Uh, I remember I went to provincials twice. Once I had a speech about race relations in comic books, so I used a lot of like X-Men as arguments for, and Luke Cage for why comics were progressive. And once I did an entire speech on why I loved Star Trek again, all in French, um, and that was uh, that was a passion of mine. It's actually a reason I became a Hab fan. It's because I fell so in love with uh, the French language. So um, yeah, no, I look, I'm I'm doing good. Uh, I'm I'm really excited to talk Venom. It was um, I think everybody's kind of probably divine from these conversations. As much as I'm a diehard superhero guy. Um, I tend to be a lot more unpredictable on superhero films. Definitely. And, um, yeah. And so I had a friend who, when I told them how much I love Venom said, I don't understand you, you're canceled. <laughs> so, uh, let me just be clear. I love Venom. Wow. <laughs> I, I love this movie and I will probably rewatch this over almost any Marvel studios film. Not because it's better. I want to be clear. And my said before, as Andrew and I talk about our personal reactions, we're rarely talking about um, the some uh, empirical measurement of quality of the film. But I love this movie, and I'll tell you why I love this movie. I love this movie because it feels like a movie that is absolutely aware of what it is, but it's straddling the five fine line between does this movie mean to be terrible, 
or does it absolutely understand the genre it's in and it's sending it up? And I have a feeling that you have a stronger opinion on which side of that divide it lands on, Andrew. <laughs> but uh, for me, uh, I just have such a blast with it. And maybe because it got panned so much, I went in with low expectations. Uh, there is one scene in particular that really bugs me based on all the hype it received, but we'll get to that. But um, I'm just happy to be talking uh, to be talking Venom. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, my opinions actually are empirically correct all the time on all issues. So... <laughs> <laughs> I will brook no argument with that. <laughs> no, uh, I, I can't wait to see the sports logic measurement of superhero <laughs> films that comes out soon with your name on it. I'm gonna have to get them to to start that up, but yeah, I I, I also went into this with really low expectations, and not just based on uh, reviews because it did get fairly critically panned. I kind of was dreading it ever happening in the first place because, uh, like, growing up. Venom was, like, the Spider-Man villain for me. Like, I, I grew up in that era of, like, Todd McFarlane was, you know, the pinnacle of Spider-Man artists, that kind of stuff. You know, like, we talked about recently, like, the two of us have fond memories of the Clone Saga, which is so ridiculous because yeah. everyone hates the Clone Saga. But, like, I don't know, I like Scarlet Spider-Man. But, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I like, have a Scarlet Spider action figure in my office right now. I just got it from Target here. The new, um... <laughs> The new figure that with the retro packaging on it, it looks awesome. I love the hoodie. I love that costume. That's so sick. But yeah, I mean, I I went into it dreading because like, to me, Venom has to be a villain first. He can't just jump into it and be a hero. And they kind of half-assed that a little bit in this movie, trying to make him have a change of heart partway through. But like, if you can throw out everything that I have with preconceived notions about Venom, I can see going into this very much enjoying it being a very early 2000s-ish superhero movie with very little to actually say, but it's kind of fun and it's kind of ridiculous. And you're right, it is kind of a send-up of the genre. But I, I feel like... In watching this the first time, I was like, okay. And then when I watched it the second time to take notes for the podcast, I was kind of just like, I don't know if I ever want to watch this movie again because it just feels like blah to me. <laughs> like, by the end of it, I was like, nothing really, like, there's no purpose to it. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that all movies have to be have a greater purpose, but I feel like it wasn't entertaining enough for me for it to be so one note. You know what I mean? And I feel like there are some decent performances in there. I think Tom Hardy was spectacular for being, like, he just went nuts and went fully head-on into it. But then there was, like, was Michelle Williams actually in that movie? Or was she just, like, walking on set randomly between gigs? I I remember remember her wig. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. (laughs) (laughs) So... I guess here's an interesting Andrew is that I don't have an attachment to Venom. Um, one of my best friends, Donnie Cates, he is like, honestly, Donnie, Donnie hears this. He's like the hottest writer in comics. I love you, Donnie. He's writing Venom right now with art pub. My buddy, Ryan Stegman, who's one of the best artists in comics right now. Their run is one of the best selling comics right now. Um, and it's probably the first time I've had any investment in Venom. I really, Donnie is a fantastic writer. Um, what I would say is that, like, as much as I enjoyed Venom and Carnage as a kid, it was like, you and I are both Maximum Carnage fans, right? The video game, the comics, uh, the trading cards. But, like, for me, the the aesthetic was what I was a fan of more than the characters, right? Yeah, I think so, that's a Todd McFarlane trait, right, with all of his major characters. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's and it, so for me, like I, lo- I still have an affection for Spawn as Bill. I don't know what Spawn's actually about. That's my fault, maybe my reading comprehension. But I know Spawn is a cool look, so I'm always into a cool t- take on Spawn. And so I'm, um, you know, I, I didn't go in with any. I guess in this case, like I don't have any real preconceived notions about what the film, about what Venom is supposed to be. Like, uh, and so I went into this movie and. Uh, with no investment in this character in this, his world, uh, but enough awareness of like carnage and toxin and stuff like that to like, like a good Easter egg here and there. And, and I think what I appreciate overall about the film, like you said, it's a really strong 90s superhero film is that this film and the first act, it didn't have any pretensions of grandeur with answers with questions. It wasn't willing to answer later. So uh, there's a lot of superhero films we've talked about where my, my thing I've been stuck on is like, Oh man, this question got raised in a very specific way in the, in the beginning of the film. And for better or for worse, it's very clear that the way those questions are answered in the second and third act didn't mesh with me. And so like, that seems to be like the bugaboo I have about most superhero films. And in this film, I feel like there was no question of merit really raised. Yeah, that's and true. so therefore there was like, there was no like um, intellectual stakes for me. And so, and because the film didn't really have any emotional stakes, like I didn't think Michelle Williams was going to die. I didn't think Eddie Brock was going to die. I kind of just had a ton of fun seeing Eddie be like a loser and Tom Hardy really chew that scenery. And so um, I guess where I want to go is I want to start with Tom Hardy who like, you know, I think this is one of my, this is probably, other than Inception, my favorite Tom Hardy movie. Uh, I'm trying to think what I like. Oh, no. I mean, Mad Max is pretty fantastic. But I also haven't watched Mad Max Fury Road again since the theaters, whereas I've watched Venom twice, and I'm pretty sure I'll watch it again in the next couple of months. Because oh, God, watch Mad Max instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, like, um, the thing is, I never get tired of the scene of him climbing, like, in the diner when he goes to interrupt Michelle Williams. I don't even know. Climbing in the lobster? Climbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Climbing a lobster tank and, like, biting into the lobster. He's like, dead. Like, I can't get over how much I am into that, um, uh, into, into that hamming up the acting and, like, or, and, and that delivery and the whole atmosphere of the film is so consistent for me. And it's so, um, there is something absolutely welcoming about this film to me and like in, that embraces a broad audience. Like there, I can't, I, I don't know how to say it better. I'm making it sound much more probably intellectual to some people, but I felt like I walked into this movie and it never talked down to me and never tried too hard. It just was what it was like. Carlton Drake does not have, um, like played by Riz Ahmed does not have like a tragic backstory. He's just a bad guy. And in the world of like, sometimes as much as I love a Killmonger T'Challa relationship or an Xavier Magneto, sometimes I just like morally compromised Eddie Brock and super morally compromised Carlton Drake fighting to see who's good and not get blown up in the spaceship. And I, I, I just enjoy the simplicity of it. And that's not a, a veiled insult. Like Venom has never been the most complex thing in the world to begin with. I'm not saying someone can't bring that to it, but I don't think this approach is completely like, um, disrespectful or dismissive to the to the character i don't know am i crazy no i don't think you're crazy i don't think it's disrespectful and i think we've talked before about how like we're not sticklers for like a paint by numbers has to be just like the source material kind of thing like uh when we talked about winter soldier we talked about how it's it's really not 
that similar to Ed Brubaker's uh, story, right? Like it's it's very different, but the way that they built that story in uh, the MCU is very respectful of that story, and at the same time builds on the characterizations of uh, Bucky and Cap, right? So like it's a mm-hmm. it's a very well done, well crafted story, and if change improves the final product change is good and and i think in some respects venom was fine like i I don't think it did anything that ruined the character for me i think the problem was that they tried to kind of keep some bits of this backstory the same but it like didn't fit like they mentioned kind of throwing throwing off as like a uh like a p to the audience to to say like a little treat you know like a a snack saying that uh, Eddie already got ran out of New York, and that's why he has a New York accent mm-hmm. when he's in San Francisco. But in the comics, he's from San Francisco and went to New York to escape his uh, rich family. But at the same time, they're like, okay, so was he in the Daily Bugle? Does that backstory with Spider-Man exist in this pseudo-universe? Or is he just, you know a guy who they just switched it to say that he was connected to New York somehow and have an excuse for Tom Hardy to do a ridiculous New York accent. Cause it's that kind of stuff that it, it doesn't land for me. But, uh, I mean, Tom Hardy, I think the main thing that I had an issue with, with this movie was in terms of the characterization of, uh, Eddie Brock. And I, I feel like Eddie Brock doesn't have to be a likable person. I think it's better if he's, a little bit unlikable, a bit of a loser, like they made him. But they framed him in the first bit of the movie as this like intrepid Charlie LaDuff style reporter. Like you know who Charlie LaDuff is, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the most unbelievable part of the whole film that he's a he's a respected or popular. Reporter. Yeah, but it's like Charlie LaDuff, but working for Vice. Yeah, and then like he does one thing, and he's you're fired, your career is over. It's like that, that that's not what happens. But then also. At the same time, he's, like, this intrepid truth seeker, but, like, the first chance he gets to, like, completely destroy his own moral scruples, he invades the privacy of his fiance in a horrible <laughs> way. Just, like, the, it's, like, we're just introduced to this guy, and it's, like, wow, this guy is a piece of crap, but we're supposed to be, like, on his side at the same time, and you're, like, I don't know how I feel about this, and then he doesn't ever really do anything to redeem himself, but she's just, like really nice i actually think one of my favorite things about this movie not to get too ranty is how mature the relationship is between eddie and uh his uh, his fiance's uh new boyfriend yes he's like between dan yeah it's so great yeah like you could be like oh my god this guy's trying to eat live lobster like this guy's crazy let's get the hell out of here but instead he's like oh i'm a doctor we need to help this guy (laughs) like let's get him to the hospital i'm legitimately worried about your ex-fiance like i thought that was really interesting and not something that hollywood does a lot because it's far easier to go for like the cheap drama of hating each Mm -hmm. other so that that was interesting to me but i feel like Eddie as a character was so all over the place that I wasn't sure what they were trying to go for. It kind of felt, I don't want to say Suicide Squad-like, because that was clearly like five different movies knitted together with a very large gauge crochet needle or something. But uh, it it did feel like there were a couple different directions that they were trying to go with this movie, and they mishmashed in a little bit of all of them. 
Yeah, I, I, it's funny you mentioned it. I, I, do you, did you believe any of Eddie and Anne's relationship? Because I felt like they had zero chemistry in the film. Like that opening scene. None whatsoever. Bedroom, yeah. Like, yeah, it, I, you wouldn't have believed they were in the same room together. He's like, oh, you're wearing the suit. I love you. And it's like, no, I don't. Whereas, like, I felt like Eddie and Dan had a ton of chemistry. But, like, definitely. Are you aware, by the way, of the. Um, of the uh, Venom symbiote shipping fandom that's like a legit thing in Venom fandom? No. Uh, you mean like shipping uh, as in like going to different hosts? No, as in the the relationship shipping. Like okay. the, there are people who root for Eddie and the symbiote. They're, oh, Simbrock is what they're called. The Simbrock fan base. Like what? they hardcore believe Eddie's true love is the symbiote. That's so, crazy. Like, there's this whole thing. But no, no, but let me tell you, this movie doesn't help because I'm pretty convinced in this movie, the symbiote is Eddie's true love. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. They have, they they kiss. have fantastic chemistry. Well, no, no. Okay, you just hit it, Andrew. You just hit the thing that pissed me off the most. Everybody was like, oh, man, I'm in a symbiote make out. It's so crazy, man. Look at this film. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm excited for that. This is going to be like train wreck of a scene where he's making out with black goo. no. He's making out with Anne in the symbiote, which raises all these questions about agency, right? Like, I, I, I'm not, I don't have a conclusion on it because it seems like the characters are willing and like participants and that the symbiote wasn't fundamentally making Anne do something that she didn't want to do. But like, I thought he was just going to freaking make out with like the Venom stuff floating in the air, which I thought was a fascinating move for a character like Venom because then it brings up all, all these questions of, sexual identity that would be fascinating for a film like Venom. But he's just making out with his girlfriend in the Venom suit. Um, so that that was literally the, moment, the only moment of the movie that I got disappointed by. Yeah, uh, it, it, was a, it was a weird it. scene. It was a weird scene, but like, I, I, part of what I love about the film, you hit on it actually, is the diversity of characters in their relationships. So like, Eddie and Anne, all things considered, like, she wasn't like a... There, there, it'd be easy to play her as like the angry shrew but she was like, she cared about Eddie, right? She wanted to help him. And was completely justified in, in her anger in like yes. every possible way. Yeah. Yeah. And when he yeah. was like, aren't we going to try to work this out? And she was like, no, nope, <laughs> you nope. don't go back from yeah. this, dude. And I thought, um, I thought the way she reacted to like Eddie being sick felt like real, but it, she never, like, it never felt like she overstepped the kiss scene side, like, Dan seemed cool and like Eddie never was like flexing with Dan. He was just like, Oh dude, thanks. Hey, I got to protect you. And then, um, I thought what I liked about Carlton Drake and I know this may be overstating, but this is a personal thing. Guys like Riz Ahmed don't get to play the lead villains in most of these films. Right. And we'll, I know we'll have a conversation about the Mandarin and, um, and you know, having an actor of, of Indian descent there. But I think Riz Ahmed is, I'll be the one to say this. He's darker skinned. Um, he doesn't have the resume of Ben Kingsley and can't, couldn't pass for white ever. And um, Riz Ahmed being darker skinned, playing a character like named Carlton Drake, and that character having zero to do with race was actually fascinating to me. Like, I wouldn't have minded if race was brought up once or twice about it, but like the fact that Riz Ahmed wasn't played with an accent, right? That he wasn't played with, with, with an Indian accent that he wasn't played as like um, evil brown guy. And there was no, as far as I recall, dog whistling in that movie about it was actually really, really cool to see. Cause as much as I want to see an Indian 
uh, American or Indian Canadian, you know, I mean, superhero kind of character where you deal with that a little bit. It's really fun. There's this, um, show on sci-fi called the magicians. I'm not sure if you've ever watched it. And, uh, Shameless plug, we're doing a graphic novel uh, based on The Magicians this July called The Magicians, Alice's Story from Boom Studios. Um, but <laughs> it, there's a character they recast there um, as Penny. This character's name, sorry, the character's name is Penny, and he's recast as a brown character in the show. He's, he's a white character in the books. Um, and Arjun Gupta, uh, a Canadian Indian actor, plays him. And what's really cool is that there's one scene in the whole show where, like, in the first two seasons at least, where his Indianness matters. Um, and otherwise, he's just a brown guy who happens to be like the cool character on the show. He's like the he's a cool bad boy. And it's always really nice when you can have uh, brown actors play those kind of characters. And I like the diversity of people we saw working at the Life Foundation. I like that the villain was brown. I like um, I just like that diversity of the character portrayals and also the people on screen. That was a lot of fun to me. And it felt like uh, it just made the world feel a little bit more real to me. Uh, and, and that's a small thing, but I think all those character interactions, like every, every, every two characters had an interesting relationship and some of it was really on the point. Like Eddie with his like homeless friends was always like super on point leading up to something. But I, I, I enjoyed that. Um, so the, I'm not gonna call this a blue collar superhero film, but it felt less about rich people and rich people problems. And it felt a smidge more grounded at some degree or making an attempt to be a bit more grounded. And um, I don't know. I just appreciate that about the I appreciate that about the whole film. Maybe I sound off base completely. No, I, I think that's fair. I think it's a lot of the same things that we liked about Homecoming, right? Is it feels more like the real yeah. world, and yeah. it wasn't about like just you know shoving somebody in there and being like, ah, look, look, it's the token color, uh, token uh, yeah. person of color. You know, like it's uh, it, it felt much more natural. I think my problem. Well, Okay, I won't go with problem, but I thought it was kind of funny <laughs> that uh, Carlton Drake is clearly Elon Musk, eh? Hey? Like, I, oh, I thought yeah. that was, like, a very clear what they were going for. That, like, I, I thought that was extremely oh, yeah. entertaining. They were like, by the way, Elon Musk is definitely evil and we need to watch him. And I was like, yes, this is true. It's 100% true. Like, there's <laughs> no way in hell that Elon Musk is not evil. He just is. Like, just he looks like a freaking supervillain. Like, he is a supervillain. Well, he... He's his everything he's doing right now is a Bond slash Superman supervillain yes. origin story. All you need is, by the way, I gave you electric cars, and like they're going to kill you. You're just waiting for their, and they're going to kill you. Like Elon Musk is Ra's al Ghul just before he's told us he's going to bomb Gotham. We're just waiting <laughs> for the Gotham bombing part of his of his of his plan to make the world better. Oh, uh, man. I think yeah, the pro- I, the problem I had with the villains in this movie is like I, I didn't care about Riot. Um, I just I thought Carlton Drake was a little bit more interesting than Riot and the the fact that he just happened to be a good match for the symbiote that just happened to be the villain at the end was just lazy writing to me and it would have been like more interesting if they established earlier on that maybe Carlton Drake was you know, a little bit more benevolent, a little bit more careful, but he had come into contact with the symbiote himself and it had been manipulating him a little bit, making him a little bit more aggressive and, and pushing for things the whole time. And then that reveal came at the end of the movie. That would have been like in the climax. That would have been more interesting to me than like this symbiote that, you know, for some strange reason took like four to six months to travel in one plane ride to San Francisco. You know, like it. It was just, 
it felt flat for me, like the the conclusion of the movie. Um, I, you know, I, you know, before going through all the problems and while going through all the plot problems, let's talk about like what we actually liked about the movie because I think the thing that was best about the entire movie was the inner monologue between Eddie and Venom. Like the yes, Venom was actually yes. like really funny and like treated everything kind of not seriously was super interesting to me. Like when he first defends him against all the the people coming into his apartment and he's like, now chop off their heads and put them in the corner. He's like, what? He's like, why? He's like, pile of bodies, <laughs> pile of heads. Like, it's like this logical thing. Like, this is what we got to do. And he's yeah. just, what else are we going to do? We got to do this. Yeah. That's the thing about Venom. Like I know they were like the fun of Venom was that like, Venom's insane ideas were on some level the most like were completely rational and reasonable suggestions in yes. the moment and that's kind of what I appreciated that like I didn't and he was also like, polite nothing... yes and it didn't feel like sh- complete shtick though right like um, I'm not you know like I will definitely talk about the Deadpool films at some point and they're not my speed but like what I liked about this is I found the humor out of the it was a buddy movie right this was a buddy supervillain movie and I was into that because Eddie was clearly morally compromised and like not really fighting that hard. But like, you know, they found joy in the small moments, like the whole motorcycle jump and like Venom holding on to the motorcycle and pulling it down and ignoring the laws of physics and the motorcycle should have been totaled. But like that is, and then the way Venom would talk to him, like there was a genuine affection where he's like, I'm a loser like you. And like, it was just, there was, I kind of like that this story didn't feel like it was about chosen ones. It was felt it was about the two losers of their, of their worlds. Like Eddie is scum, Venom scum. They just want to be scum together because together they're somehow better than scum. And I kind of like that. I like that it was, uh, and there was no pretense of a moral lesson here, right? Like I'm not going to pretend like this is a story about how we're better together and we correct each other's flaws. No, Venom and Eddie are toxic. They're bad. <laughs> I, they just make they just give create permission structures for each other to be terrible. Did but you I'm say okay they're with venomous. Ah, no uh, there's a toxin joke I was trying to get to with the toxic <laughs> part and I couldn't quite get there. Sorry, sorry. Um, no, no, no. That's still not worse than that. The whole let's talk about it for a second. Let's pivot to the Cletus Cassidy moment at the end. Oh, fuck, with, I hated uh, that. I hated it so much. The worst wig in the whole film. It, it's the worst wig in Harrelson, like Hollywood like, history. Well, when he pro- he's like, when I promise when I get out, there's going to be carnage. I'm like, what, what, what? Yeah. What? What's going on here? It's literally the first um, thing he says do- in an interview. Like, not even introduce himself. <laughs> he's just like, I invited this reporter yeah, I, here. I, I, it's going to be carnage. I'm like, okay. Yeah, you're like, you're like cool. So um, you plan to kill people. Do you understand how parole works, Mr. Cassidy? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, like, but I, I, of all this, you know, like, that is the perfect tease. Like, if you're not going to promise Spider-Man next time, like short of Tom Holland being at the end, be like, Hey Eddie, sounds like we got to talk. Um, the perfect, um, end to this really is, um, carnage. Cause you're just got more symbiotes fighting. I don't know what that really means. And, it, and again, I encourage everyone to check out the current run of Venom where Donnie and Ryan have really redefined what Venom's origin is and how all the symbiotes relate to each other. And like, why Venom and Eddie work and like it's actually really fascinating stuff if you're a Venom fan or if you ever wanted to see a dragon with a Venom symbiote on it but like there's um, I, I think it's really fascinating to see where to go with, with Carnage in the film, second film 
And if they explore like the sliding scales of morality, because that stuff's all there. But I also hope like we see Venom adapting to regular life. Like there's, there's, I guess there's a weird perverse joy I find in this film. Like, and I still laugh at the end with, is it Mrs. Chen? Cause they had to find the most stereotypical name for the, the, the convenience store lady. Um, that like when Eddie just kills the gangster in front of Mrs. Chen <laughs> and, he says and he's he's like, like, see, I've got a parasite. And he's like, and he's like, parasite. He's like, I'm sorry. Apologize. Like <laughs> that was, I love the idea that Venom is really offended being called a parasite. Like it's silly, but it humanizes Venom, right? Like yeah. he's not like completely evil or completely unfeeling. He's just some loser alien. That's like, dude, I like, I just like, don't call me a parasite. I'm a person. You know, and like him possessing the dog to help Eddie and not being mad at Eddie for leaving him behind. I actually thought those were small details that just made it enjoyable because we, we didn't have the Sturm and Drang that you'd expect from like this movie. Like you mentioned it, right? Like no one was too angry at each other. Dan and Eddie got along really well. Venom and Eddie never had a big breakup scene where they had to come back to each other, each other and show they understood each other. Like everybody played a role and like look michelle williams in the third act very much plays the role of girl who needs to press a button to save the day like it was very pepper Potts in the first iron man film but i don't know what else you were expecting her to do unless she was she venom at the same time venom like unless you split the symbiote between two people what is she going to do and quite frankly i pretty much expect the second film will be Anne as venom as she venom i think is her name in the comics along with Eddie as Venom fighting Carnage, maybe fighting Toxin. But, like, that's what I expect the second film is going to be because, like, that just seems like what they're building up to. It's kind of like the way Rhodey looked at that War Machine costume in the first Iron Man, and he's like, ah, next time, baby. Like, you just know that's what the second film is going to have. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, like, everybody's ro- everybody, every character in the film kind of played their role the level they needed to. Every character... Was was everybody served, served their purpose? But this really was a buddy romance, buddy supervillain movie between Eddie and Venom. And I I defy I I challenge anyone to say there wasn't a, a genuine joy in every scene where Eddie is trying to talk to Venom and acting like a crazy person because those scenes were really fun. And I felt like everybody reacted to those scenes fairly logically, except for Mrs. Chen at the end. Um, <laughs> there was the other scene though that was kind of weird when like. And sees in the lobby sees um, Eddie turn from Venom back to Eddie. She's like, "What's wrong with you?" And he's like, "I've got, I've got this parasite." She's like, "You're sick." And I'm like, "No, no, no. You know what's wrong with him, lady. You just saw him transform into like a ten foot black goo creature." Um, yeah, I feel like she was a little bit in shock. I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give her that one. But that she's like, she doesn't run away from him, which was nice. I like, I like that the part of their relationship that felt lived in was everything after they broke up felt yes. like supremely mature and felt like she loved him. And she's not, she's like, I'm not going to give you mixed signals here, buddy. I'm helping you with my boyfriend. And like Dan was never like, again, it was just, there was a maturity to this film, oddly enough that I really, really appreciated. Uh, and I, and again, like we, we talked about this last time and I, and when we in our last podcast and I teed it up, like this film was a pure amount of joy. And I just, it's what you brought up. This film was almost, it's almost background noise, but in the best way, like this is a fast and furious style superhero film. And I'm a hundred percent here for it because if I want the big sprawling epics, I have Marvel. If I want, um, the, uh, you know, that, that teenage superhero flair, we have those spot, the Sony Spider-Man films. 
I think the Fox films are kind of in their own space. The DC films are figuring out what they are right now. And I feel like what they're doing with Venom at Sony is very much its own thing. It's an anti-hero movie, and it is um, it makes no pretensions about that. It has no grand message, and it's just about people getting by. And because there's not many films that are tonally like it, I'm very much into it. Now, whenever we do talk about Aquaman, you're going to probably hear some similar things from me. I think this is very different than Aquaman, and I like I enjoyed Aquaman a lot for different reasons. Um, but I'll tell you that and without spoiling too much, I was laughing at Aquaman a lot. Like I wasn't really laughing at Venom. I felt like I was laughing with Venom most of the time. Um, and, and I guess that's the difference for me. Is like I didn't feel like I was mocking the film. I felt like they just said we're going to make the best, you know, like you know, B-level superhero film like this we can, and they just made it. Yeah, I feel like um, it was it was so extremely early two thousands that like if this movie had come out in the same time in the same universe as like the original Raimi trilogy, it probably would have been like ninety percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It's just that the genre yeah. has gone so far beyond this style of movie, right? Like it it's not it it's not a poorly made film. I think my biggest problem with it is you know, a problem that Sony is dealing with anyway is that Venom is intrinsically, to me, tied to Spider-Man. And the way that Venom and Eddie were characterized in this movie, I can't see them ever crossing over. Because Venom, for me, was like a new stage of Spider-Man villain in the comics, mm-hmm. right? Like, you had Norman Osborn, who was crazy and vindictive and, and killed Gwen Stacy, but Venom was... He wasn't smart like Norman Osborn, but he was a different kind of cunning and he was calculating and he was not just, you know, going straight at Spider-Man trying to kill him. He was terrorizing him psychologically for like a long time before they ever actually fought. You know, like he would just show up as Eddie and be hanging out with Mary Jane when, you know, Peter Parker came home from work and like, you know, Spider-Man didn't have spider sense for Venom and that was like a huge terrifying thing for him it felt like he was fighting naked you know and I feel like the problem that I have is like the peak of this character can never be fulfilled because this movie was made and the way that they've built it and you know I I just can't see Tom Hardy's Venom or Tom Hardy's Eddie Brock even becoming the bitter dejected person that Eddie Brock was when he first got the symbiote now if this movie were post uh, his, you know, uh, altercation with Spider-Man and he'd left New York City and arrived back home in San Francisco, then I think it would have stood very well on its own. Because, you know, he's kind of toned down the anger. you, You bring out some of his more funny components. Like, Venom in the comics is a very, like, odd funny character at times like he says some weird stuff and you're like what but although he never said anything about a turd in the wind i don't think i feel like that line was probably the most cringy <laughs> in the whole so thing for boring. me oh, oh i hated man. that line but the scene nice. was fine but uh, overall yeah, yeah, i, I feel line. like but the, the, but the presentation is like then you'd have no legs and you'd have no arms and no face <laughs> yeah, uh, like, it was just like it was so great how I many turds fly around in the it. wind though <laughs> Maybe on his planet they do. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, yeah, we don't know about the... Uh, what is it called? The uh, Clintock? Clint- yeah, Clintar. Yeah, yeah. Clintar, right? 
That's like the the actual yeah, names that... for the symbiotes. But uh, yeah, I, I just feel like that's where it fell flat for me. I mean, it was so early two thousands that it had an Eminem song in the credits too. Oh, dude, that that song, the Venom, Venom. It was such a bad that Eminem song too. It was really just, bad. It, like, it felt so dated that it felt like it could have been on the Slim Shady L- or LP. Or not Slim Shady. 20, which is 20 years old. Yes, the Slim Shady one. Yeah, 20 years old. 99, man. Oh, I know. Um, I would argue that, like, what I find interesting is if you actually have Venom and Spider-Man meet now, I'm actually more interested in that story because, one, seeing Tom Holland with that symbiote would be fascinating, but I wonder what their conflict would be now. And we'd see a different Venom-Spider-Man relationship than we've ever seen before be, simply because of where they are. So I'm curious what kind of story that gives us, right? Like, if you know, because they're both characters who ostensibly are about like protecting the little guy, right? That's that's what motivates Eddie. That's mm-hmm. what motivates uh, Peter. And like, I think you're actually you've skipped ahead, and you're alluding to this to like the the lethal protector era of, of Venom. And I think you, but I do think you could do like the Maximum Carnage movie right now still. And I would argue that you get to like for you and I, what was the golden era of Venom Carnage stuff? And I think you could still have a lot of fun with it. I, I again, not having a ton of investment, I kind of like that it's so different. Um, uh, it's uh, I, I'm curious where it takes it because it's so different. Again, I, I just don't. I, having seen the bad version of this so recently, thanks to our endeavoring on this podcast. <laughs> yes, it's better than Spider Man Three. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I guess I feel like, look, would I love to have seen the Spider-Man Homecoming version of the Venom story? Sure. But if they could mount a good crossover between these two, Tom Hardy and Tom Holland in a movie together, like just those two in a scene together actually just makes me happy. You know, like, I can't you see the scene in the elevator where they're like, he's like, okay, so what's the plan? Well, I'm going to bite his head off. Bite his head off? Yeah, I can see that. I can see them like... Yeah, and it's like that's where the and like the fact that Eddie is like so like um, left of center or right of center, whatever you want to call it, noble in his thoughts and his conviction, and it's like, and then I want to hear that like I want him talk, I want Spidey talking to Venom, and like the inside Venom voice in Tom Hardy's head, like I just feel that inside voice is so fascinating to me. Um, so uh, you know, and and clearly Tom Hardy's ad libbing, like he he came up with the idea to have Eddie get into the lobster tank, which is, which felt like Tom Hardy ad-libbing. And I'd want to see what him and Tom Holland do together. Cause Tom Holland has such good comic timing. So, um, you know, you could all like, and again, it gives us the possibility of the symbiote going to Peter, it, you know, one day the symbiote maybe develops the white venom logo, but I guess the weird part is I'm a venom fan now after this movie. And all I can say is I don't know what 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 could what the better um, compliment than you made me a fan of a character I didn't really care about before. Yeah, I mean that's a pretty big compliment. Uh, I I have nothing like I, I didn't come out of this movie in the same situation as like the Amazing Spider-Man where I like viscerally hated it. I just found it like yeah. pretty utterly forgettable. You know, like usually when I when I take notes, I have like a page and a half on like my Word doc. And I think I have, yeah. like, a half page of notes because I was just – I didn't have a lot to, to say about it. I think that was, like, the main thing is it just felt kind of empty to me um, despite the fact that Tom Hardy, like, really carries this movie by being an absolute insane person. Uh, yeah. It, it, it just shows, like, how much he can do, right? Like, 
he's yeah. such a talented actor, and he seems like a, a pretty decent guy too. I mean, he loves dogs, he loves kids. What's better than that? Yeah, yeah. No, he he seems like, and it's like this. This is this is it's like people have been trying to figure out forever how do you weaponize Tom Hardy in these movies. Obviously, they tried it with Bane, and we can debate the results of that. But like this, like this is the leading man Tom Hardy I want. It's kind of blue collar, kind of like rough around the edges, and like there's no apologies for it. Um, it, you know, like that's, I just, I guess this movie felt like everybody making it was just, um, like again, Hardy getting to the lobster tank. I feel like he embraced the insanity of this. Uh, and it's you know what the other part of this we haven't talked about is a Stan Lee cameo and seeing that cameo again after Stan's passing rest in peace yeah. was actually oddly more affecting than I expected. Um, I wanted to actually share with you guys in the podcast and we haven't talked about publicly, which was the day Stan Lee called me to do say he wouldn't be able to do something he said he would do. So um, I was at Marvel and he was supposed to write the introduction for something. He couldn't do it. Um, and this was back in 2011 or 2012. And I remember I got the call. He's like, hey, Arun, it's Stan Lee. And I'm like, in his Stan Lee voice. And I'm like, I'm like, is someone punk me? He goes, so, he goes, I'm sorry, true believer. But, you know, I said I'd do this. I'm just not going to be able to. So before you ask me about the schedule, before you give me more time, it's just not going to happen. You hear me? <laughs> so he's like, and so basically he's like, so thanks for asking. You know, if you could send me some copies when it's done, I'd love to have them. And I look forward to seeing you again. And I'm like, okay, Stan, thanks. He goes, take care, true believer. And like, and then like hangs up and I'm like, cool. Like I didn't say a word there. And Stan like anticipated all my questions. and was like, this shit ain't going to happen, bro. And like, that was the, and it was like <laughs> in the nicest way and it was pure Stan Lee and like honestly um, I've interacted with Stan numerous times over the years I won't pretend to know him he probably barely remembered me his handler Max who I know well would remember me um, but like that was my favorite interaction with Stan because it told me how canny Stan was he called you he gave you a he knew he was going to be Stan the man Lee when he called me he, he knew he'd give me the call that I'd talk about later like I am right now and he also knew he was like, I'm not giving him any wiggle room. There's no conversation to have. Um, I think one day if we ever talk about anything S.H.I.E.L.D., I can share a conversation I had with Jim Steranko about S.H.I.E.L.D. And, it, and his strong feelings about the helicarrier. Um, but, like, this is um, – that was the conversation I remember – I'll always remember about Stan, which was like, uh, it ain't going to happen, bro, and I'm going to make it as positive as I can. And, you know, oh, it was weird. It was, it was just crazy seeing him in that scene. But um, no, I look, I love this film. I'm excited for the sequel. Um, Tom Hardy clearly is the MVP of this whole thing. Uh, and, I'm, and I do think, despite the bad wig, that Woody Harrelson is also the exact kind of insane I want to see across from Tom Hardy in a film because I think that's fun. And then like the thought, even though it's been announced that Venom is in its own universe, the thought of one day having Woody Harrelson, Tom Holland, and Tom Hardy in the same film just makes me happy in all the right places. Yeah, I I really hope that they get a new wig by the time the next the next movie starts filming because that it really felt slapped together. It really did. Oh, oh! Can I tell you the scene that made me think of you the first time I watched it? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so I was watching with Michelle, my wife and I were watching this, and the scene where he like where Eddie like hard pivots to the hey, aren't you a horrible person who's murdered people in the interview? <laughs> um, Just no subtlety whatsoever. Yeah, I thanks. Saw this is the Andrew. This is the Andrew with Mark Burge event. <laughs> I just started laughing because not that obviously you're more tact. You're a much better reporter. Reporter, I love you. Respect to you, you're my bro. But like, 
and for some reason I was like, I could just see you be like, so Mark, uh, so Max Domi's worked out real well for you. Thomas Tatar's playing well. Do you feel real bad about the dog whistles and everything you did with PK after you made him promises? How do you feel <laughs> betraying the city, Mark? Just three years <laughs> like, later. Just, yeah, I just see the hard, hard pivot. And yes, I did just work again to see band trade into another podcast. I- I'm sure that, you know, at least... <laughs> At least it's always you who's working it in and not me because I get so much <laughs> flack. Anytime I mention anything even tangentially related to P.K. Subban on Twitter, it's like an yeah. avalanche of angry Habs fans. And it's like, you guys sure seem over it if you have temper <laughs> yeah. tantrums every time you hear his name. <laughs> it's like you could talk about Weather, Weber for three years and never get a mention. But if you mention P.K. once, whew, like, I, it, I, I do find it funny that you know nobody in Nashville – ever gets mad when Shea Weber is mentioned, but a lot of people yeah. in Montreal get mad when P.K. Subban is mentioned, and I wonder why that yep. exists. But, you know, let's not get into that. We're talking about Venom. Yeah, let's um, not get into that. <laughs> uh, one thing that I really noticed in this movie is, like, you know, I feel product placement is a realist, like, it's just something that's part of movies now. It's how they help make money and fund the movie. I have no problem with it. Uh for the most part, unless it's like super, super bad. But I did notice in this movie that the entire movie is kind of a vehicle for tater tots. Oh yeah. There's it is. so I, many mentions of tater tots. Like even at the end, Venom is like, I want some tater tots. Yeah, no, that, and, it, I, and the tater tots was chocolate, right? Wasn't that specifically what I wanted? I, I can't remember. I'd have to look at it again, which I've already established. I probably won't do. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of tater tots. At one point, he, like, eats handfuls of cold tater tots. He eats burnt tater tots. Yeah. just really loves his tots. It's one of those things I feel like it was um, – it's one of those idiosyncrasies I feel like you build in the film. Because, like, look, look at this character who's interesting. They like gummy chews, fruit chews. And, like, in this case, he likes tater tots. Isn't that relatable? I don't know. It might, maybe, like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, they were like, what's the weirdest food for Venom to like? And tater tots is pretty up <laughs> Just, there. It's, like, a weird food. You know, you guaranteed yeah. they all had, like, this big meeting, and there was, like, a big whiteboard yeah. with, like, 50 different kinds of weird foods that are, like, kind of obscure, but not, like, crazy obscure, but, like, you know, things that n- normal people would have and they they narrowed it down to tater tots at the end because it's like... It's going to be frozen when he eats them, which is really weird. You know, you, you could warm them up in the toaster oven. He destroys the toaster oven. Like, and it, it played really well. But, like, there's so many, like, scenes where they managed to work in that package of specifically branded tater tots. And I was just, every time it showed up, I started, like, cackling because it, just, it felt like a giant, subtle tater tots commercial. Yeah, I, 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 you know, look, as a guy who will probably be, who if, when I'm cremated, will probably be, like, cremated and have my ashes put in something that's shaped like an Oreo. A giant I'm not Oreo judge coffin. Other people. <laughs> exactly, let's be honest. Um, and the guy who's playing with an Oreo DJ set in his office right now that you can DJ off different Oreos, uh, DJ mixer, um, you know, like, I'm not the one to judge weird food obsessions. I just will say, like, tater tots oddly are like i feel like a safe choice for weird food like it's not so crazy but like i'm sure someone started off with like spam or like dunkaroos or like fruit by the foot and like i think it's actually harder to come up with a funny food than we all think it is maybe because i'm not a funny guy but um tater tots are a pretty good choice to me i feel like just the word tots i mean it's especially good when it's meshed with the word tater 
Because, like, Tater makes me think of, like, uh, the scene in Lord of the Rings when uh, they're, they're making potatoes and uh, Samwise Gamgee is like, ah, oh, nice crispy taters or something like that. And Gollum's like, taters? What's taters, eh? And that got turned into, yeah, yeah. Uh, a, like, a friggin' Flash meme that was the the height of hilariousness on the internet when I was in high school. So to me, just the word tater is hilarious, but tater tots is just, it's funny. It's alliteration. It's perfect. Wasn't there, a, wasn't there a whole bit in Napoleon Dynamite about tater tots? Yeah, where he, like, kept them in his pocket. Yeah, so I feel like, I feel like, you know, it's, it, I, I feel like it's, it's a good choice. Like, again, like, you know, like, where do they go with, like, cheese curds? Like, I don't know what sounds, like, different but not so crazy. And, um... Like cocktail weenies? You know, like... Yeah, yeah, it would be something like that. Like, you know, they'd be like, uh, they'd, or they'd be looking for a pun. Like, I'm actually surprised they didn't choose something that, had, that sounded more sophomoric. Like, uh, like, there, like you egos? know, there's a version where they were. Yeah, well, no, I'm thinking like cocktail weenies, but like, they try to find like the phallic pun in it and they right. would lean on that. You know what I mean? Like, I could see them, um, I could see them going for something like that. So because of how broy the film was, and I think maybe it was aimed at a slightly younger audience, and these movies tend to, have, I think a lot of superhero movies can lean towards a more male audience, so they go for those kind of jokes. I think this is, um, again, tater tots is fun. Made me want some tater tots with cheese on top of them. But, uh, you know, uh, look, I, I think we, in coming back around to it, you and I both, I think, agree we've seen worse Spider-Man universe films Tom Hardy was was enjoying this, and I don't think either of us is opposed to a sequel, right? Like, I think we certainly would not be dreading watching it, or am I just speaking for myself? I mean, I definitely wouldn't pay for it. I would definitely watch <laughs> it for free, but I, I wouldn't be heading on to the theater. I didn't watch this one in theaters either, but, like, yeah, nor if I. you were to ask me what Spider-Man sequel I'd be more excited for between, like, this... Far From Home and a sequel to Into the Spider-Verse, this one would come a very, 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 very distant last. Well, on that note, it sounds like uh, Into the Spider-Verse, which I have not seen, but I do own. On oh, my ID. God. Um, You're, you are going to yeah, love it. I, I already know how you're going to react to it. I well, I, I I'm very much like like I've said this before. Like I was, uh, I led the PR uh, uh, initiative on la- announcing uh, Miles Morales. It's one of the high points in my career. We announced him on the front page of USA Today, not not like the front of the life section, the front page of USA Today. It genuinely be- was a cultural moment when that character came out. I have a uh, Ultimate Comics Spider-Man number one, which is the first issue of the ongoing series fe- featuring Miles, signed by Stan Lee, that I treasure. Um, you know, like I have a very, I feel very strongly about that character and what he represents. Um, when we have a conversation about him, we'll definitely talk to you about the racist, racist, uh, reactions and calls that I got the day that we announced him. It was, it was a journey for me for sure. Um, and on a personal level, actually awakened a whole lot of questions about my own identity. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to watch it. Do you, uh, for, for the listeners out there, should we be thinking about um, Into the Spider-Verse as our next film? Do you want to try something? Do you want to get to the Thor movies or do we do Spider-Verse next? Let's do Spider-Verse next and then we'll have like the full slate of Spider-Man stuff cleared Perfect. until Far From Home comes out like on video a year from now probably. So uh, we'll, we'll have a good uh, long section without Spider-Man and I feel like it'll feel complete 
for now <laughs> that we've yeah. gone through all well, the Spider-Man movies. Well, that sounds good to me. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Any, do you want to do any closing thoughts on this one or it's a one-off so we don't do the regular tomorrow? Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I have any major closing, closing thoughts. <laughs> I think the main, like when, when I was planning out this, <laughs> this podcast, I was like, I don't know if we're going to be able to talk for an hour. Like a room better go on one of his <laughs> 20 minute rants. Cause it's going to be a tough one for me. <laughs> remember that one which movie was it where I talked for like half hour oh I don't remember what movie it was but it was like 37 minutes Not, not, I'm not kidding. That is in the back of my head whenever I have meetings at work, which is don't go on for 37 minutes now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I forget what movie that was, but I'm sure somebody will tell us. But, yeah, I, yeah. I, I would well, say for, for me, this one is uh, watchable, but uh, not something I would seek out. Um, so not offensive, not amazing. I, I would give it a good uh, 6 out of 10. Yeah, I would give this one, if you were, like, saying quality of the film, like, this is a 6 out of 10, but my personal enjoyment is, like, a, is is a actual, probably a 9 out of 10, if not slightly higher, because of the pure joy I felt. And, like, watching it again, I was surprised. Like, the first 50 minutes, I'm like, did I really like this film? Eddie Brock is, like, the worst YouTube reporter ever. Like, I think I think our buddy <laughs> Steve Dangle is higher, better produced videos when he's arguing with Hack Guy. And then... All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, wait, this is really fun. The minute the Venom symbiote attaches to Eddie, I'm like, I'm into this. Yeah, so, it, it um, works much. Have... Every scene with Eddie and the symbiote, I think, works really, really yeah. well. And that's what makes the movie. Uh, you know what I just it just occurred to me? The way that I feel about this movie, like the conflicted nature that I have with it, is probably the same way that you feel about the upcoming Hobbs and Shaw movie, where something – it's not like necessarily breaking the character because – the Rock's character Hobbs wasn't part of mm-hmm. the family necessarily when uh, uh, what's Hop uh, Shaw? I'm like, what's his name yeah. in the thing? Oh, it's in the title, <laughs> yeah, Shaw. <I> <laughs> uh, when Shaw killed Han, but it's that same thing where there's there's like a fundamental problem with the two pairing up and being buddies. That is the same thing that I have with you know Venom fundamentally has to be a very tortured, vengeful person when it, when he starts out. And that's kind of where this movie movie doesn't really fly as well for me. So I, I feel like that's kind of the, the good comparison that I can find for how I feel about it. Well, Venom did not kill Han, so I'm okay <laughs> with it. <laughs> he did, however, kill the random symbiote named Riot, which <laughs> yeah. I don't care about. You know what? But, but the movie barely had symbiotes fighting. I think that's where it was smart, right? Like, you yeah, just did the it, one battle, and then you were out. And, like, I have to say, that is where the movie... And, again, well, at some point, we'll talk Bumblebee. And, I'll, and, and and part of the brilliance of Bumblebee is it realized we didn't want robots fighting too much. And it really was smart about that. And I think this movie realized, like, the symbiotes fighting is the least interesting part of this film. So everything else is way more interesting. Um and again, I think the, there are some really fantastic instincts in this film. Um, and uh, look, I will say that Peter Parker in Spider-Man 2 is a bigger villain than anything Eddie Brock does in this movie because of that one scene where he looks down the alley and we're supposed to think he's a hero for walking <laughs> away from the innocent person to get attacked. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. That It's pretty bad. Well, on that note, I think we, I think we may have covered it all. Yeah, I, th- I think that's all we got. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, oh, I wanted to say to you that uh, a friend of mine was, was listening to the last podcast that we did on uh, Homecoming, and he was like, I, I didn't realize that Arun was writing wrestling comics. That situation that he described sounds amazing. So uh, my buddy Jonathan is going to try to find your your comic in Toronto. So if you uh, wanted oh, us to, that's so, that's so sweet. yeah, you want to shout out again where people can find it because uh, yeah, I, I just feel like we need to promote some awesome work that you've done. <laughs> Thank you. No, yeah, I wrote a story about the origin of Money Incorporated, which is a team of IRS in the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. Uh, just to show you how punny IRS was, IRS's real name was Erwin R. Scheister. He used to be he used to work for the IRS. Um, it is in a comic called WWE Forever, uh, number one. It's a one-shot that was released on January 30th this year. It actually did sell out at our distributor level, um, so we're not going back to a second print on it, but it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's got a lot of fantastic stories, including stories about Bret Hart and, and Razor Ramon and other characters and Ted DiBiase. And uh, you can find it at your local comic shop. You can also find it on digital vendors like iTunes, um, like Comixology, which is an Amazon company, if you want to read those comics digitally. Um, if you're in the Toronto area, I would really recommend you go down to Heroes World in Unionville. Um, Andre uh, Greenage and John Hogan run the store are friends of mine from when I used to live uh, in the GTA, and that's my favorite store in, uh, in Toronto. Uh, if you're in Guelph, The Dragon, run by Jen Haynes over there, is a fantastic store. If you're in uh, Nova Scotia, uh, Strange Adventures is an awesome store. Uh, if you're in Laval or around Laval, Laval Comic Heroes is a fantastic store. Um, you know, uh, my favorite store in Vancouver used to be called the Comic Shop, but it's since closed down, which bums me out. But you can find it at your local comic shop. Um, if you're a big fan of this podcast and uh, you have a hard time finding it, tweet an anger at me. Who knows? I might uh, have an extra copy to kick your way. But I Ooh. really appreciate the feedback. And if you read it, please let me know what you think. But um, you know what? No, I am willing to say this. Uh, if you were interested in a copy of this book, we have three copies we will give away on this podcast. Sorry, I'm pivoting right now. We're going to awesome. give away three copies of the comic. If you tweet at Andrew and myself, um, we will randomly select you from those people. If you're And um, spoiler, Jonathan's probably getting one of them. <laughs> so, um, But, uh, you know, like if you, uh, if you tweet at us, I uh, would love to give you one, and I'll, I'll personally sign it and mail it out to you from the offices here at Boom Studios. That's wicked. That that's amazing, and you know what? Let me reiterate that uh, you know digital comics are great, and if that's the way avenue you want to go, that's awesome. Consume the media, but uh, man, if if you've got the time and inclination, head down to a comic shop because yeah. it's an important industry to uh, to to put some money into. It's a struggling industry in a lot of ways to to keep it going, and there's so many people who are creatives that are. You know, putting out this, uh, these amazing works, and uh, they, they deserve a bit of your money, and the people uh, selling the stuff do as well. And I will say, I can, I can say, I'm ta- I've hinted at this publicly, but my work and then the response to this story actually netted me selling another script for something that I can't talk about right now, another comic thing. But, uh, I, you know, so thank you to everybody for support. It means a lot, it opens doors for folks like me, and I'm really, really excited. Uh, I'll tell Andrew what it is after we finish this podcast. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, that's all we've got to say about Venom. I hope everybody enjoyed it, and uh, we'll see you next time for Into the Spider-Verse. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Andrew Berkshire, and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Berkshire, follow Arun at A-R-U-N-E, and check out the podcast website at andrewberkshire.tumblr.com.